Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I, uh, I didn't get to wish you a happy 2020 last week. We were uh, out of town in the midst of cousin chaos down in Colorado. And uh, it was a really good trip, um, but it is so good to be back in the saddle. We were going to begin this morning with this new series called Epic Fail. Uh, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to actually call an audible at the line, which um, if you know anything about me, I'm type A and I don't typically uh, do something like that. But let me tell you where this came from. Um, it was about New Year's Eve at 4 a.m. And, and I woke up uh, in the middle of this, this night and um, my mind just started racing. You ever have one of those mornings? I think it was all like the Christmas Eve fun that finally caught up in my head. And I was thinking about all the good things that we had been through as a church over the last year and then thinking about all the good things to come in the next year. And in the midst of all of these racing thoughts, bubbles up this Bible verse that I've heard a thousand times before. It comes from Luke 11, 1. It says, Lord, teach us to pray. And I just had this check in my spirit of, why would we begin the new year talking about failure when we could begin the new year talking about thriving in a relationship with uh, with Christ. And so, um, so we're, we're also just a few weeks away from rolling out this brand new vision for the church. Um, if you're worshiping with us for the first time this morning, welcome. Um, let me just catch you up on that. We've been working on this new vision for over a year now. It's a big deal. It's coming just in a few weeks. And, um, and so I just had this overwhelming conviction this morning that the, the bedrock of this new chapter, both as a church, but also in our lives with this new decade upon us, why not root it in something called prayer? And, um, and here's the context for this verse in Luke's gospel. Um, the disciples had walked with Christ, right? They had been with him for some time now. They were uh, watching his miracles take place. You might even say they had put their faith in him, but they had no idea how to pray. They come to them with this shameless request of, Lord, how do you do this thing? How do you do this thing called prayer? And by the time the early church begins, these, these same guys are now on their knees constantly praying before the Lord. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to camp out in the book of Acts where this happens. Acts is like the book of new beginnings, right? It's the, the book where the church has its early start. And um, it's the book that, that tells us all about how these men bathed their lives in prayer from the very get-go. It shaped everything that the church did. The same ones who had asked Jesus back in Luke, Lord, teach us to pray are now living it out. Um, and so as we do that, I'm going to frame this first sermon of a three-part series. We're going to look at it like this with three really random pictures that will tie all together in the end, so go with me. This morning, we're going to talk about blizzards, sundials, and airplanes. Is that random enough for you? Blizzards, sundials, and airplanes. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll open up to this Acts chapter 1. Let's pray. Man, God, I, I just keep thinking about those words we just sung. Would you speak, Lord? Would you teach us obedience? God, would you help us remember that you are holy and perfect? God, that we need you every hour. Lord, we need you right now. And so by your Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak to us. God, would you take all the things that are in our minds and in our hearts this morning, Lord, and just wrap it up in what you have for us in your word. God, we know that your word is powerful. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. So we, we just ask, would you... Make us come alive with it. God, lead us this morning. We're listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. 
Acts 1, 1 through 14. Let's just listen to God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to deal and do and teach. That was Luke, by the way. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So last week on our way home from Colorado, we, um, we drove through the most terrifying snowstorm you've ever seen. I've been on many trips along I-80 to Iowa, from Colorado to Iowa in my life, never seen something like this. Of course, this is what happens when you head north. And early on in the day, we had wrestled with these two options from where we live. Um, we could take the interstate around the mountains, either through Salt Lake or Denver, and you were guaranteed to run into ski traffic. Or we could take that shortcut right through the middle of the mountains into Montana and have no traffic at all. Now that's a little bit risky in the winter, but I studied the forecast and there was no snow along the route, so we gambled. For the first few hours, we drove through the most gorgeous mountain valleys you can imagine. The sunset was perfect, there wasn't a cloud in the sky, there wasn't a car on the road, and I told my wife, Jen, I said, man, we made the right call. And by we, I mean I. I told her, I said, this is the easiest road trip ever. And just about nightfall, though, we came up over this pass, and you could feel the weather change. Snow started blowing along the road. The wind started picking up. And I thought, man, this is odd. The forecast said we were golden, so we just kept on. About a half an hour later, we drove by this ominous flashing yellow sign that said, winds in excess of 40 miles an hour. And I thought, certainly it's lying. And I kid you not, almost immediately, we were in a full-on whiteout blizzard. My first coping mechanism, as with all of us being used to the snow, was to look at the lines on the road as a guide, but within minutes, the lines were gone. We were driving on snowpack. 
The winds got so heavy then that you could not see even a foot in front of the vehicle no matter what light you put on. Jen's looking down at her cell phone. We had no coverage. And the only thing now keeping us on the road are these reflectors on posts that I had never even paid attention to before. You know what I'm talking about? From that point forward, we literally drove blind. Our headlights would hit the next reflector in the distance and then we'd follow into the blindness until the next one picked up again. About two hours into this routine, I looked at Jen and I said, we need to start praying. told her, I said, this is bad. Um, to which she replied, what do you think I've been doing this entire time? <laughs> and somewhere in the midst of this struggle, though, I got to thinking, why is it that I've never noticed the reflectors before? They were just decorations along the side of the road all up until this point in my life. Even on a normal nighttime routine, you saw them, but you didn't really use them. And as we were literally praying through that blizzard, I got to thinking, man, those reflectors are kind of like my prayer life. Why is it that our fervent prayers, our most fervent, passionate prayers are reserved not for the sunny days and the easy roads, but those moments when the curveball comes at you that you didn't see coming? I mean, is that you or is that just me? I think we get stuck in these patterns of prayer where God becomes that reflector off in the distance, like, I see you, Lord, um, and I know I need you, but not right now. Like, I'm good. No need for prayer today. And as that night turned into this, this weird hypnotic dream of, like, snow and, and shining lights, I thought, man, what a lie that is. I need the every hour. Think about this passage that we just read. From the very beginning, like the first fruits of the church and the Christian community in the Bible, there was Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. All of these with one accord were devoted in prayer. Together with the women, Mary, and the brothers of Jesus. And I want us to notice this morning that intentional placement of the word devotion for a minute. The Greek word that's used here, it carries this meaning of persistence in something, right? Um, to be devoted is to put intense and passionate effort into it. To continuously and constantly work at something. I get the picture of somebody lifting weights who has no quit in them, with sweat pouring out, their face turning red, giving it everything they have. That was the prayer life of the early church. It was this daily hourly, minute by minute, sweat, blood, and tears kind of devotion. And here's the context that goes with that. It had been 40 days that the resurrection Christ had walked alongside these people. And in those 40 days, Jesus is spending, he's devoting his time with them to talk about the things of the kingdom of God. Just put yourself in the disciples' shoes with me for a minute. I'd be thinking this is a done deal. The resurrected Christ is with me. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is right here. Certainly the kingdom's coming. This is game, set, match. So they ask him, they say, when is the kingdom of Israel gonna be restored anyway? Let's get this party started. But to their shock, Jesus tells them, yours isn't to know the time. Yours is to follow the spirit. 
And the Spirit will come upon you. And then when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness in Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And then no one saw this one coming. Jesus is swept into heaven. The scriptures say a cloud took him out of their sight and they stood there dumbfounded. They're speechless. Like if this isn't the moment that the kingdom of God is here and Jesus has now ascended into heaven, now what? But interestingly enough, and don't miss this, they go and do what Jesus taught them all the way back in the gospel of Luke. And they pray. They devoted themselves to prayer. Not just once, not during dinner or before a meal or before the bed. They walk into this upper room, probably where Jesus had broke bread with them, got on their knees and prayed. Where did you first learn to pray? I realize it's probably like asking, like, where did you first learn to speak? I mean, it, think about that with me for a minute. I mean, no one can probably pinpoint the language uh, the, the moment where, where language just started coming out of your mouth, right? Um, it's it's kind of like, like watching the progression of a two-year-old. Like they go from babbling to English, you know what I'm talking about? Like from I'm not really sure what you're saying to all of a sudden using these meaningful phrases that seem to come out of nowhere. Just this last week, my, my little girl, Addie, she, she looked at us and looked over at, at Jen. She said, Mommy, I love you. And she looked back at me and she said, Daddy, I love you too. And I thought, man, where did that come from? Just weeks ago, I didn't even understand what she was saying. And even though we might not be able to pinpoint it, we can all agree that language is learned, right? And the same thing goes with our prayer life. When I think of prayer growing up, I think about grace at the dinner table. Anybody else? Or I think about my pastor praying in worship in church. I remember my family praying for a friend who we thought was near death in the hospital Remember praying at youth group and Sunday schools? Who remembers prayer nights after 9-11? Anybody? I remember praying before Bible studies and at bedtime. All of this shaped the way that I talk and communicate with the Lord. And I share that because I think we forget prayer is a learned thing. And when you look back at your life, someone, somehow, somewhere taught you how to pray. But here's my question. If that's true, then what implications do those lessons now have in our walk with Christ? You know, I think uh, particularly in American culture, we've been conditioned to sort of put our prayer life into silos, into like these specific time slots at, at designated moments during the day. Pray at dinner, pray at bedtime, maybe a little on Sunday mornings, and of course when things get rough. That's the learned pattern of prayer for most of us. And some of us, we've even believed that, we've even been raised to believe that, well, well, prayer isn't really what we do as a family. Prayer, that's what the preacher does. That's what the president does when he blesses America. We never even have thought to ask that simple question, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think this sort of pattern, it, it probably began uh, looking back in the church history with this man named St. Benedict centuries ago. The church had this spiritual discipline that they named after him. It was called the Rule of St. Benedict. And the chief piece of this new discipline for the church was this challenge to stop and pray on the hours of the day. 
You prayed at morning, you prayed at noon, you prayed at night, you prayed even late into the evening. When the chime struck on the clock, you were on your knees. It's a really good discipline, something that I've used many times in my life. But the first thing that we learned this morning in the scriptures is that even this practice falls short. Because prayer isn't about the hour, and it's not about the rules. Prayer is a constant, devoted relationship with God. That's our first point this morning. Prayer is a devoted relationship with God. Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Popular psychiatrist uh, spent his entire life meeting with patients, right? And he said one of the things that he learned more than anything else in his time with people, he said this, he said, I am convinced that all human beings have an inborn and intimate desire for God. We were created for worship. And deep down, I think we all crave this relationship with our creator, right? All of us, whether, whether we realize it or not, we were born with this inward desire to be in relationship with the one who made us. An hour here or there probably isn't enough. And I think in many ways, it's what we do with that craving that makes all the difference, right? If we're not worshiping God, we will certainly worship something else. With that same desire either comes devotion to Christ or devotion to idols. So some of us in our attempt to fulfill this God-shaped hole in us, we, we become devoted to things like riches or fame. And others of us, we attempt to fill that hole with, with things like pleasures. Some of us become devoted, even addicted to drugs or alcohol, gambling. We become self-focused on the image of ourselves so much that we live in a porn culture. But for the Christian, our devotion begins and ends with prayer. Prayer is a relationship with God, right? That's our first point. And over the next few weeks, we're going to find out just how vital this is in the life of God's people. Just a chapter later, Acts 2.42, look at this. Jesus hasn't returned. The disciples are still waiting. And what are they doing? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Which brings me really to our second point this morning, which is to pray constantly is to pray intentionally. To pray constantly in relationship with God is to pray intentionally. John Mark Comer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, published a few months ago. And uh, in this book, he talks about how there's this new frenetic pace in our lives that's robbed us of connection with our creator. And he points to this culprit uh, of this problem all the way back in the year 200 B.C., there was this new technology that had changed the entire pattern of life. It was known as the sundial. And you, you know what a sundial is, right? A, a sundial um, <clears throat> is this, this uses the shadow of the sun as it changes position to tell time, which is awesome because before this point, you couldn't say, meet me at two o'clock, but now you could. But there's a side effect that no one saw coming. Life was now fragmented into these artificial segments of time. And, and almost immediately, there was this complaining about how this new technology had changed the game. Look at this quote on the, on the screens from the playwright Plotus. The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours. 
Confound him too who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. Anyone hear the foreshadowing of Google Calendar in there? Now, some 2,200 years later, this is life. We now live these compartmentalized life. The, the clock runs us. Worship is an hour on Sunday mornings. Our workouts, 35 minutes, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. The school bus comes to pick us up at 7.30. Work begins at 8 a.m. sharp. Some of us are retired and you're going, Ryan, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but did you know that this generation of retirees is the busiest on record in American history? We become experts at filling the rest of our hours full. Sporting events, doctor's appointments, TV binges, board meetings, the list goes on and on and on. And John Mark points out this really insightful uh, perception. He says, why is it that when we're asked how we're doing, we automatically respond, I'm good, I'm just busy? As if those two things go together. Like in our busyness, are we really okay? Particularly if we're so busy that we've lost sight of the one who made us and saved us and sustained us, are we okay with that? I'm not ha hammering the, the calendar. Um, I'm probably the worst of all of us in the room. It's not going away. The, the sundial became the pocket watch. The pocket watch became the iPhone. The, the orientation of time is here to stay. I'm just simply asking this. What does it look like for us to pray in spite of all that? Lord, teach us to pray. How do we stay devoted in the midst of calendars and that are purposely fragmented and these lives that are constantly distracted? Here's my confession. Um, I don't have the answer. Except to say that to pray constantly is to pray intentionally. To pray with devotion is to pray with intent. It's a deliberate practice. So what does that look like in your own life of prayer? See, in our lesson this morning, it doesn't take long to see that the disciples had this unique commitment, not only to Christ, but also to one another. Our passage says, with one accord, they devoted themselves to prayer. Let me translate that. Um, that means despite the circumstances of life, they made a commitment to praying together as one. That might be together as a church, together as a small group, together in families, together as couples, together on a text thread with one another. And yet to say that, to say yes to that, probably means saying no to something else. And this is the rub. See, the easy sermon would be to say, look, just keep doing your thing and fill it all in. But really the truth is we ought to make time for God and one another. We fill our days full and then prayer gets left somewhere in the cracks to fill. And welcome to my brain while driving through a winter snowstorm. Like, why is it that we wait for the blizzard before we make time for the reflector on the side of the road? Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Romans 12.12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful, devoted in prayer. You know, I know some of us this morning, um, even with this new year, are already feeling it. We're already feeling weary. We're already feeling burdened, exhausted, overwhelmed. Like the new decade just got started and you're already on the wrong track. This isn't the way of Christ. 
Matthew 11.30 says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and me you'll find rest for your souls. That's the way of Christ. You know, I've been thinking this week, if everything on the outside then looks together and, and shiny and new, but everything on the inside is hollow and prayerless, and 167 of 168 hours a week are devoted to something else besides Jesus, it's really only a matter of time before our outside shatters. I love how Martin Luther put it, and frankly, I envy him. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. Let's not over-engineer this thing. Um, prayer is a constant relationship with God, and to pray constantly is to pray intentionally, to pray deliberately. You ever been in a conversation with someone and it was obvious they weren't present? Anybody been there? Like they're looking over your shoulder behind you and you're going, what are you, what are you looking at? Or, or their phone buzzes in their pocket and, and you can tell they want to look at it, but they're just paying you the common courtesy of trying to ignore the cell phone. The rest of the conversation, they're wondering who keeps texting me. This is our prayer life, right? I mean, I, I'm... I'm I'm like that dog in the movie Up. Remember him? I think his name was Doug. Like every time Doug sees a squirrel, he's off in another land. And here's what no one tells us. No one tells us that prayer is probably the most difficult command God's given us. Honor and father and mother. I can do that. Do not murder. Check. Done. Pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. It should be up on your screens here. He says, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as the prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Prayer is an enduring relationship with God. To pray constantly is to pray intentionally, and that brings us to our final point this morning, which is this. Your prayer life is the grounding for your eternal life. So many of you uh, know Bill Inns, who's a pastor and a coach to this church, and Bill loves flying. I don't know if you knew that by now, but one of his favorite things every week when we meet uh, to talk about is, uh, is some relevant flying analogy for life. It makes me want to be a pilot. And, um, but earlier this week, Bill was talking about how everything a pilot does in its approach to landing will have a direct impact on how the plane touches down on the tarmac. It's called the controlled approach. In other words, once the wheels hit the ground, all the things you do or didn't do in the air will now dictate how your landing goes. And it hit me, this is the problem of our days. Like we seldom root ourselves in prayer and we go about the rest of our lives in these fragmented compartments of time as though we've got this. Be like me jumping into your cockpit for those pilots in the room and looking at all the instruments and telling you, you can go now. I'll just figure this out as we go. Like, that's insane. Like, to say I've got this, like, no, you don't have this. You don't have a clue what you're doing. And to go about this life as though we have it all figured out is to leave behind the one who can save us not only in the blizzard, but also from the brokenness and sin of ourselves. Just imagine your life for a minute as like an entire approach on a plane into heaven. The Bible's really clear. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. That's not bad news. That's, that's good news. That we don't have to do this life on our own. But if our salvation is reliant on him, then how much are our days and our hours and our minutes reliant on him? And yet to cease from praying is to cut off that relationship. 
To cease from praying is to be devoted to something entirely separate, something temporary and fading. To cease from praying is to stop trusting and relying on the one who's not only gets us through the blizzards, but through the sunshine. So the question over the next three weeks, and this is really just a primer this morning, is this. Um, how's your prayer life? Blizzards, sundials, airplanes. Are your prayers on hold until the next blinding storm? Are you confounded by the hurry of life created by this clock with no time left for him? Because in the end, we weren't meant to do this life alone. Jeremiah 29, 12 to 13, then you will call upon me, God says, and you will pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the next few weeks, we're gonna look at just what this intentional prayer life might look like in our, our own lives. But for now, this is the question all week long. Maybe we just start this morning with asking this, Lord, teach us again to pray. God, we thank you this morning, Lord, for loving us in such a way that 